obscure cyborg super soldiers and swamp monsters. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel, a podcast where a comic book fan and a Marvel movies fan rewatch the Marvel films, explore the rich history and trivia of the original comic books that inspired the films that have absolutely transformed Hollywood and changed the movie-going world forever. Welcome to another episode. My name is Rob Holden, writer, comedian, and I am the comic book half of the geek duo that does tackle the many Marvel movies. And my co-host on the journey through the MCU is Mr. Will Preston. Hello! Will, we've had such fun, haven't we, with this podcast? And it's incredible to see, milestone after milestone, we keep on hitting. Yep. And then more listeners joining, more subscribers joining up, more patrons joining us on Patreon. Oh yes! And we put out Spider Man and ended our little detour last uh, in the last episode where we went before the MCU. We took a look at Blade, X Men, Spider Man, and we start now returning to the MCU with Phase Two of that wonderful, bizarre journey. And we do that with Iron Man 3, which is the one that's before us today. Um, I'm very excited to... How do you feel about going back to the MCU after our little detour? I, I'm very excited because there's a point in Phase 2 where... And I've said this before in the previous podcast episode. There's a point where the writing suddenly improves. The scripts become a lot funnier. And the characters be, get a bit more depth to them. Also, also uh, I'm trying to figure out... I know... Do the phases have overarching story plots? Because I know the first phase is about leading up to the Avengers film, essentially. I mean, this phase... Well, I suppose yeah. I suppose all of them are... Well, they're all obviously p- part of the Infinity saga writ large, aren't they? Yeah. They're all gearing up block by block towards that. Um, I think this is the start of the Marvel phases not ending with... The Avengers. Yeah. So you could say they all gear up to the Avengers, don't they? Yeah. Well, this, like, like when the last one ended, it didn't end with Endgame. It ended with Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm. This one doesn't end with Age of Ultron. It ends with Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> so it does, yeah, it does become... This is definitely the quirkiest of the blocks. Definitely. 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 Um, and some of those quirks come out in really amazing ways as we'll see with Guardians of the Galaxy some come out in very unexpected ways like with Ant-Man and some of them come out with I don't know some fractious films that will perhaps kick off the first the first two uh, episodes of our jaunt through phase two um I mean did, did have you did you take a look um we we, we talked about this off air when we began Phase 1, things were very different for the MCU to where we find ourselves now. We saw Iron Man operating alright with an okay budget and doing modestly well for for the movie, right? Yeah. We saw it take, you know, $800 million at the box office. But we learned from the last episode that that's what Spider-Man took before the MCU was ever even a thing. Yeah, now, one character on his own took eight hundred million at the box office. Iron Man didn't really change the game, and none of those films along the way in Phase One, none of those changed the game. They were all doing conservatively, roughly around that Spider-Man level. Yeah, it's not until you got to Avengers 
That's the one. I mean, if we're starting now for the phase two of the journey, we're starting in a very different world for the MCU. With Avengers, they have just gone past that $1 billion mark at the box office. And that really turns this into a franchise powerhouse. We're really looking at a completely different world with with Phase 2. That's something I'm really excited about. Um, I don't know if that kicks in here. These films would have already been in production. You know, yeah, it feels like they were part of a separate series because this is obviously uh, what we're looking at now. Like, like they're almost, yeah, like, they're just they're just finishing off the little little mini franchises with the large franchises. It's like, well, we've made a Thor film and an Iron Man film. We better make more of them. People like them. <laughs> I don't think that we start to see the big difference that that Avengers one billion dollar. Milestone makes in the MCU. I don't think until Phase Three. I think that's when, because those films would have started to be in production during this period of time here, um, you know, thirteen to fifteen. So um, it's a very, it's a very interesting time. I've not really ever thought before whether people would have a favorite phase of the MCU, but we do start to hear things like that all the time. Um, as they they talk about you know all the different all the different um, ways that the the, 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 the MCU being in phases is something that the public really love they really love to have those collector's box sets and they really love to to, you know and you get to look forward or looking forward now to the phase 4 movies that are coming out and we we see things like Shang-Chi's coming out and, and other stuff like that so that's maybe something that we uh, we should pay attention to, and we should perhaps try to take the time as we get at the end of phase two into grading the phases. Phase one, I've got to say, I'd I'd give that a great big high score. I okay for all its faults, yeah, I I okay, I would give it a good score, mainly because of the consistent structure to the phase, introducing the characters, bring them together at the end, boom. There's, you know, Absolutely, yeah. I, 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 I give it that. But at the same time, a lot of the films are finding their feet. They're finding their feet. And yeah, they, they really are. And they haven't reached... I think... I'm, I'm probably going gonna get, to gonna get so much lip for saying this, but I think it was Guardians of the Galaxy that really went, Hey, Mar- Marvel films can be a bit of, bit of a giggle too, you know. That we could, we could do... Yeah, people say that. but I, I mean, I think it's right there from Iron Man. I really do. I mean, I yeah, think... Yeah. There's that funny sensibility in all of them. Um, if anything, Guardians almost did it too well because <laughs> Marvel started, I feel, to do that. Let's push that button all the time. Yeah. And that's how you get things like Ragnarok. <laughs> well, we haven't got time to go into that right now. We'll, we'll get round to it, you know, in, uh, in Phase 3. It's been it's been a really exciting uh, journey. We're really excited to crack on with phase two. We've got um, some fantastic uh, fantastic fan feedback that have come in from everyone for listening. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget you can drop us a line. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. That's how you get in touch and let us know what's going on with you. Now we when we get to these sequels, it kind of breaks the format a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, a little bit, yeah. The first thing we need to do is establish. I've read several comic books in this last week alone <laughs> that have been Marvel-based. I've been reading comic books for 30-odd years. 
Uh, I know me onions, as they say, down the market stall. <laughs> Will, we're going to check in on you, check in on the format. Is it safe? Is it secure? Is it preserved? Tell us, reveal to the whole listening world. How many Marvel comic books have you read in your life? A big fat zero. Oh, fantastic. The format is secure. The show can go on. <laughs> I don't have to delete all the audio files, take down the uh, the RSS feed, and burn it all to the ground. Um, good, that's positive. What we normally do next is ask you if you knew about the character before the movie came out. Well... <laughs> I hope so because we've done two of these so far, yeah. two Iron Man films. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw one of them in the cinema, so obviously, yeah, I, I, I knew about Iron Man before I saw the third one. <laughs> yeah, that takes a string out of the bow, doesn't it? Because that's one of my favourite parts of the show. Yeah, getting into the Muggle mind. I, I, like, I always call it the Muggle mind section of the show, and it's it's my favourite part of the podcast. <laughs> um, well, there's nothing else to do on that respect. Um, what we can do is take a look at sort of maybe the modern history of Iron Man. Okay. Um, in the, the first two Iron Man episodes, we, we covered his origins in the 60s and touched on those big stories from the 70s and the 80s. The cool things like um, Demon in a Bottle, where we see Tony Stark battle with alcoholism, and the Armor Wars, where he goes around beating up anyone and everyone that's stolen his tech over the years. <laughs> Sadly, as we leave the 80s and get into the 90s, the 90s is a wasteland of bad storytelling for Marvel. <laughs> uh, I mean, there are some shining examples, but but in general, the company is in a mess and it collapses into bankruptcy during this decade. So there's not a lot of those shining examples. Um, in the 90s, Tony Stark in the comic books gets shot by a crazed ex-lover. Don't hashtag me to this. I'm not saying they're all crazy, but Tony Stark's exes are all crazy. Most of them become supervillains. Um, so he gets shot by an ex-lover, and he winds up paralysed from the neck down. Oh. Um, confined to a, a bed with machines that keep him alive. He can't be Iron Man anymore. He becomes Iron Lung so Man. He has... Oh, <laughs> so golf clap. <laughs> golf clap. I didn't even spot that one. Oh, oh. <laughs> Dreadful bird. I am going to help, but it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's confined to a bed, and I and Tony has to be Iron Man by remote control. He he, he creates a way of you know controlling the uh, the armor from afar and sending it out into battle without him inside it, which kind of removes all jeopardy oh, from the storytelling. No. <laughs> Oh no, what happens if they blow Iron Man up? Oh, it don't matter, he's in bed. He's still in bed. He hasn't got out of bed in a long time. <laughs> you know, he's playing a video game at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and then things in the 90s really go south. Oh. Are you ready for this, Will? Well, I, I, I think I prepared for after that horrible... You're not, uh, you're not, mate, okay. you're not. I'm sorry, you're not prepared. Hit me. So in the 90s, there's this big storyline called The Crossing. And that takes place uh, in the Avengers comics and then all the other comics, Captain America, Iron Man, all the other sub-comics that kind of of the members of the Avengers. And in that storyline, there's a mystery traitor on the team of the Avengers who murders three people from the supporting cast. And the traitor is revealed to be Tony Stark. And this is not uh, a clone. 
It's not a copy, it's not a doppelganger, it's not an imagination, not an illusion. It's genuinely him murdering people <laughs> and being a traitor of the Avengers. The Crossing reveals that ever since the very beginning of Iron Man in the 60s and the Avengers, Tony Stark has been a double agent working for one of Marvel's top supervillains, Kang the Conqueror. Kang? And uh, Kang. We talked about Kang before in the Avengers. He's a time-travelling conqueror from the future. Yeah, I remember now. And Kang's been manipulating Tony since day one. So in order to stop evil Iron Man and Kang, the Avengers travel back in time and recruit a teenage Tony Stark. (laughs) Young, hip, cool, teenage Tony Stark from before Kang started manipulating him. Uh, And they have a great big fight. Old Tony Stark dies, and then teenage Tony Stark stays living in the future and takes over the Iron Man role. And that's Iron Man now. He's 17. So they rebooted Um, Iron Man. Yep. That's yep, but but without changing, without sort of changing things, and there's also right after that happens, there's a period in the nineties where Marvel, so the all of the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, they kind of get wiped out from the regular Marvel universe, mm. and, and Marvel hand creative control and responsibility to a team of superstar artists from a rival publisher called Image Comics, ah, and they say. Yeah. Our flagship titles are having the worst sales ever. They've never sales have never been so low. We're desperate. You're our rivals, but you you sell lots and lots of comics. Take our best characters and do something with them. And these image comic guys reinvent all the classic superheroes, including Iron Man, in a brand new universe. Uh, brand new histories. It's something called Heroes Reborn. And I got to tell you. Every stitch of it is terrible. There's not a single redeeming or decent thing in any of this at all. I need to ask, I need to ask, how often, I know each each Marvel uh, comic character, this is going to be a question that applies to the whole everything we've done. They Each character has their own comic, pretty much, don't they? The main characters well, have... So, most, 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 yeah, the main characters, yeah. How often do those comics come out? Once a month. Once a month. Okay, that's not too bad. For a second, I thought if it was like a, if what? it's a regular, if it's a regular title, yeah, it's published monthly. Some it, they're still published monthly, but they might only be a limited six issue run, or it might only be a three three shot or a one off special things like that. For a second, there, I thought they would have gone like every week or something, and that would have been mad. Sometimes they have been bi monthly uh, and have been sort of once a once a fortnight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for. For our American audiences, a fortnight is a quick way of saying two weeks. Um, <laughs> apparently, they don't have it. I checked. I looked it up online. They don't have fortnight. They just say two weeks. Madness. The amount of time we save in this country. So yeah, that all kind of that nonsense all gets uh, sorted out by the end of the nineties. The two thousands is where we start to get some important storyline ideas that the movies would pick up on. Two thousand and two. Tony reveals his identity to the world. I am Iron mm. Man. Yeah, that had never happened before. Um, and then two thousand and five, a British writer called Warren Ellis pens a six issue six issue Iron Man comic that changes the status quo and power set of of Iron Man vastly. Would redefine the character for for a decade. Now, Warren Ellis is a writer known. For his dark sci-fi stories, yeah, I know, I know um, one of them. 
Yeah, what do you know? I, I okay. I've only actually read Transmetropolitan. I've read the entire run of sure. Transmetropolitan. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. So that's Warren doing crazy fun. Uh, I mean, sci-fi and some sci-fi horror, but mainly comedy. But his yeah, he, 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 like a lot of the new wave British writers, um, Warren Ellis does do mainstream superhero books. But whenever he does, he brings an edged and like a contemporary adult edge to them, like an outsider sensibility to the stories and the characters. Ellis looked at um, Iron Man in the early two thousands and did not see a character at the bleeding edge of science at all. There were developments in the real world. I mean, and and Warren Ellis is a is a big. I don't know. What you, would you call it? Can you be a fan of science? <laughs> Yay, science! Go developments. Um, but he he obviously reads. He's very well read in the world of science, and so he he kind of has a lot of understanding and knowledge, and uh, at least from a layman's perspective. And he looked at at Iron Man, and he saw that there there are real world science out there right now. There's above and beyond what Tony Stark's doing in a superhero comic with with what's meant to be science fiction. So he he writes this six-issue story arc called Extremis. And that really relaunches Stark as a character who doesn't just wear a suit of armour, but has enhanced abilities. He transforms Iron Man into a character that can directly interface with uh, technology in 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 his armour, control it like like a body part mm. and his mind Tony's mind gets a, a, a power up and becomes that he can kind of process information and learn as quickly as a computer can and he becomes sort of a god of tech really mm. he becomes very it, it's a very you know if you go back and read some of the things he does in the 80s and 90s it is completely alien to the Tony of the last 20 odd years where he can almost build anything, do anything, create anything, control anything, you know. So that's that's really what led to here. Because without those stories, we wouldn't... You could have skipped the crap stuff in the 90s, quite <laughs> frankly. <laughs> but without that, yeah, without that, we wouldn't have um, have got to this stage. And you know what, Will, in a seamless transition, without that, we wouldn't have got to this stage. Without you folks out there... We wouldn't have got to this stage. Oh, what a seamless transition. Do you like that? Did you feel it? Was it good? What a segue. We don't just rely on you guys tuning in and listening every week. We also rely on the wonderful, wonderful people from Patreon who uh, pledge. They set their fees and donate to this wonderful cast each and every month. They help us keep the lights on. It's not free running this cast, is it, Will? Oh, no. There's lots of incidental charges. We've got all the hosting. We've got the storage space. We've got all the other things. It cost us cashola every time we put one of these in your earbuds. So a bunch of people step up and uh, they do the right thing, Will. They do the right thing. They've got their Patreon account. They sign up to pledge to donate. And... Um, one of those fine, fine gentlemen is Zubair. He's doing the right thing. He's supporting us every month. And he writes to say, Hey guys, big fan of the show. When you guys finish the podcast, does Rob have recommendations for Will to read <laughs> the best Marvel comics? Zubair says, I'm partial to Old Man Logan, Civil War, 
and House of M. Well, first of all, <laughs> first of all, we can't recommend anything to you right now. Yeah, it's a shame. Because what happens? What happens if you read a Marvel comic? Will we've ruined the format? We have to go home. All of this has to go home. Like a travelling circus, we pack up the tents, we put the clowns back in the car, and we go home. So, yeah, there's there's some stuff we will do. Um, I, I think um, we've got a letter asking about recommendations as well. Uh, yes, I'm sure there is. A, yeah, what's that? We got we got who does that one? We got a letter from Cody who writes in to say, "Hey guys, love the podcast." Love hearing the differences between the movies and comics because I dabble in both. The movies are what got me into comics to begin with. I grew up with the 90s Batman and X-Men cartoons and the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. When I started reading comics, I was mainly a DC fan. The MCU movies have turned me more towards the Marvel comics, but Batman will be my forever favourite, with Spider-Man basically tied behind him. Ooh, what an image. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I know there's ambiguity in that sentence, so I couldn't resist. Well, it doesn't need to be... We don't... Listen, it's, <laughs> we're 20 minutes into the podcast. We don't need to be bringing bondage and SNM in this early, Will. You just try and keep that mind out the gutter. I, 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 will, I will try. Uh, I'm trying to catch up with the show because I found it later and just listened to the Avengers episode. When you recommended the Hawkeye run with Matt Fraction, I immediately wrote it down because I'm always looking into reading more comics. I think it would be cool if you could recommend good slash favourite storylines each episode with the character or something like that in general. Anyways, this is a podcast that I can really get behind. Thanks for putting it together. Wow, that is such a lovely letter to read. Thank you, Cody. Thank you very much. You know much. what? You know what he did right after writing that letter, Will? Mm-hmm. You know what Cody did right after writing us that letter? Hit me. He did the right thing. Oh! <laughs> he became a Patreon. Way! A patron, sorry, over on Patreon. So we got to show big love for... Because sending us a letter doesn't always guarantee we're going to read it. But if you're a, a patron, if you pledge that dollar dollar, then we'll definitely read it on the air. Or two, right? So, Cody, uh, big respect. Welcome to the club. Um, you know you know what it's about. It's about keeping the lights on around here, making sure we get through phase two. Making sure me and Will, you know, are physically able, financially able to get through these... Uh, <laughs> These phases and get all the way to uh, the end of Endgame. So we like and respect that. And um, so, yeah, there's quite a few people looking for recommendations there. Yeah. And that makes sense. And we toyed around with a couple of different ideas of what to do. I think what we're going to do is we're going to add to the end of every episode a recommendations, like a reading list kind of thing. Yeah. Of um, those those good ones that, that I recommend. Recommending is tricky. Like, um, Zubair is clearly a Mark Miller fan. Old Man Logan, Civil War, he he likes Mark Miller. And I don't want to comment too much because I, whatever the opposite of a Mark Miller fan is, that's me. Which, which, <laughs> if did, I could be out there. Did uh, Mark Sorry? Miller do Kick-Ass? He did do Kick-Ass. Um, he did two other awful films as well. He wrote Wanted, and he wrote um, <laughs> King Secret Service. It's known as Kingsman. I've I've read all of those, and uh, the Secret yeah. Service uh, has a scene that takes place in Gosport. 
I used to live there. In where? The, oh, really? The scene actually takes around the, around the corner from my mum's house. <laughs> uh, all three of those, like it, 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 basically, with Mark Miller, it, if there's not a rape in the comic book story, he he's not happy. Um, it's a hallmark of his stories that he puts he puts that in every one, and I cannot yeah. tell why, other than someone once described him to me. Mark Miller writes like he's trying to offend his mom. <laughs> <laughs> Like a fourteen-year-old, ah, I can write rude things. Anyway, <laughs> you know, yeah, so Civil true. War. Civil War is quite broad, and it has, it's it's a really good idea, and it has really good aspects of it. And Mark Miller, when he when he has got some good editorial guidance, I really think he can uh, write well. Um, but but that thing, oof. That's a diff- just a tricky one. Civil War is a tricky one to. I like I, I like all the stuff around Civil War, but the actual anyway. So yeah, we're going to add a, a, like a reading list to the end of every episode, and recommendations in general are a bit tricky because I like to always say, "What do you like?" If I was going to recommend something to you, Will, I wouldn't. I would say, "What do you What do you already like?" You know, if you like, if you like The Sopranos and The Wire, mm. then Brian Michael Bendis writes a very compelling Daredevil series. Which is about street level crime. There's a bunch of courtroom drama in there. Um, it's about underworld machinations and kind of a very pulpy noir feel to how a guy in a costume would would kind of operate. If you like high fantasy, then maybe Marvel. Kieran Gillen's got a couple of books for Marvel comics. He writes Thor and Journey into Mystery. They're kind of lots of fun. It's kind of difficult though, um, it, mainly because. Uh, to me, it's second nature that these superhero stories have been running forever. And the best thing about them is that they carry on and on and on and on and on. A friend of mine, Paul, he likes comic books, but not necessarily superhero comics, because he doesn't like the fact that the story doesn't end. It genuinely <laughs> bugs him. They're like, But what's the end of the Superman story? Like, well, it doesn't really work like that. It, it, it keeps going and it changes and the status quo alters and the, the characterization yeah, changes. Yeah. No! What's the end? And I can, I can... It doesn't make sense to me, but I can understand it, really, that there really should be. So it can be difficult. Sometimes it feels like you're recommending to someone... It's like recommending season sixteen of a soap opera that's been on the air for fifty years. This is why. <laughs> like, this is why I could never get round to reading Marvel comics. It's, I just I looked at I looked online and go, okay, where do I start? And it's just like, oh, sit, go with issue one thousand seven hundred and forty-two, and I'm like, no, I want to start for the yeah, beginning. Yeah, but no, again. but it, no, but it's absolutely right. You have to ignore the numbers. Yeah, you have to. And you have to. I mean, it's perfect. You, you're you're a smart person. You're an Thank educated you. person. They're not. They're not. They're not writing something that you're gonna. It, it's not gonna jar you so far out of reality that you can never continue. Mm. Like when it references that thing that happened in Madripoor, you're not gonna go. Well, f this. I didn't read that one and storm out of the room. <laughs> you're gonna go. Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, it's not integral to the story. If it was, they'd probably give me a bit more information. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll look that story up later. You know, it's fine. Um, so, we've taken care of a bit of business. We've uh, announced a radical change to the show, sort of. And uh, we've we've taken a look at some wonderful fan letters. I think we're about ready, Will. We, we've done the modern history leading up to this movie, to my mind. I think, if you would be so kind, 
to take us through the film that sits before us today. It's Iron Man 3 on the docket. Will, can you press play? Pressing play. So, Tony Stark begins telling the events of the movie to Bruce Banner. He recalls a New Year's Eve party in 1999. Stark meets the eccentric and physically disabled Aldrich Killian, who promotes his company, Advanced Idea Mechanics. However, Stark is much more interested in another operation, Mayor Mayor Hansen's extremist project. Because he's a massive bellend, Tony tricks Killian into believing he's interested in AIM, telling Killian to wait for him on the roof, never intending to show up. Stark witnesses the powers of extremists firsthand, watching as it genetically manipulates living organisms. As the New Year's fireworks go off, a rejected Killian is left alone on the roof. So... When it comes to films doing flashbacks to like the 80s and 70s, what I loved is, uh, how do we make this uh, definitely the 90s? They play Blue (laughs) by Eiffel 65. And I went, no, you did not just bloody play that song. That was a nice touch. But it it worked straight away for me. I went, oh, I know what this is. (laughs) It it, it did. But I was like, surely there are other good songs in the 90s. But ah, it's it's iconic. But it's not about good good songs. It's not about good songs, is it? Yeah. It's about um, cultural touchstone songs. It's about that annoying song that dominates the radio and the adverts and every everything. Yeah. That, I think that I, I, I can really understand um, why they did that. I, I put that song along five along, along a Mumbo number five and the Macarena. It's that kind of. But you know exactly where you are when you hear those where those songs, I, right? I'm digging my own hole. I don't care. I. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> you want an obscure indie band that everyone go? Did this come out in the night? I thought no. I, I thought is this is seventy. No, this is two thousand and one. I am so you bad with that. I'm so bad when it comes to music snobbery. I'm really bad. But another thing I liked was Happy Hogan had a great mullet. Happy Hogan. He did. You're right. Yeah. He looks so cool. He should have had a bolo tie. That would have completed the look. You. I think this is what happens because this is the, what do we got right now? The first non Favreau Iron Man. Is it? I thought. I, I swear yeah, I saw his no. name pop up. Or is it? Oh, Kevin Fage name pop up at the end, didn't it? He, he, he's not. He doesn't direct this one for the first time. It's, so um, is it Shane I think Black? It's Shane Black. Does it? And um, I think what that means is you now have to have a mullet since you're not in charge anymore. <laughs> yeah, that was, if, if that was the reason, that's pretty good. Shane Black, I think around the same time, ta- a few, uh, maybe a couple of years later, did the film The Nice Guys. Yeah, which is great. Another great film, very similar humour. Check that out. But uh, also, the- when you say another great film, what's the other great film you're talking about? Because it's not this one, is it? <laughs> I will come to that at the end when we when we come up to the summary of this film. Uh, okay. Spoiler okay. alert: solid six out of ten. Okay. <laughs> also, um, how what was impressive about this film is how the hell do you make Guy Pearce unattractive? I didn't think it was possible to make Guy Pearce unattractive. <laughs> I have a massive man crush on Guy Pearce. Man, I know he's he- all our all our fans in the UK and to a lesser extent Australia will know how uh, what an absolute heartthrob that guy was in Neighbours. Um, <laughs> he's part of that childhood. He's going he's going deep on that eighties heartthrob childhood for you there. Yeah, More I- popular in the UK than in its home country. That is the <laughs> cultural icon that is Neighbours. <laughs> 
US audiences, wake up, find it on YouTube, get on it. Quick interesting fact, when I was four, I, at someone's birthday, I once sung the Neighbours theme tune instead of Happy Birthday. <laughs> My mum will never let me forget that. <laughs> that is the greatest, I can, oh god, I want that on every birthday now. Gather round everyone, light the candles. Neighbours. Oddly enough, my sister as a child had a neighbour's birthday cake for her birthday. My mom made a television and like had like a you know that sugar paper? She'd printed off sugar paper of the neighbour's logo and put that on the TV because at like the age seven, the only thing my sister liked to do was watch (laughs) neighbours. You would have you would have been the perfect guest at my sister's eighth birthday party. <laughs> if I was sunk neighbours, what the hell? Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> anyway, Guy Pierce though. I mean, he looks like who's that guy from Little Britain who who helps uh, the guy in the wheelchair? Is it Andy? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, so. He looks sure. like Andy from Little Britain, and that's that yeah. They've cool. done a good job. They've done a good job there. They've done. What's his disability, by the way? I didn't notice disability. Unspecified. He has a bit of a limp. I, that's, that's, that's what I could gather. An unspecified disability. Oh dear. So, and the idea is his character is really upset at Tony because he essentially stood him up. That's the sure. That's, yeah, rejection. That's, that's quite. That's quite the motivation. I. I, I thought that there should I, be. A bit... I think it's really powerful. I. I, I think it's really. Um... Uh, not powerful, sorry, that's the wrong word. I think it's really relatable. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, you watch that scene where he's sad with the fireworks going off and you go, we've all been there, we've all felt that. Yeah. Ugh, especially from someone you admire or you, you really want to be your friend or your your partner or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was... Uh, it does... It, it, again, I, you know, I, uh, Tony Stark's a douche. <laughs> <laughs> especially, especially. Uh, so is Thor. Gave... I, 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 th- I think this is before we gave up the booze as well. So he's even more douchey. So you've mentioned advanced idea mechanics before in the uh, Captain America episode. Who are they? Who are they? Come on, who are they? They're so generic and bland in this movie. <laughs> I mean that, yeah. that's something yeah. that ha- seems to happen to a lot to a lot of co- concepts and characters in this in this one. Um, they had a lot of cool things to work with. Aim Aim are really fun. In the, they're a really fun part of the comics. They're usually Captain America and Iron Man villains. They're like an offshoot of Hydra, that's founded to create all the kind of crazy science fiction weapons that Hydra need to conquer the world. And they eventually become like a terrorist group in their own right. Yeah, because uh, they're like we're smarter than Hydra and the other, you know, the Secret Empire and everyone else. Why do we just build weapons for them? So they start to hoard their own weapons, and then someone in the group says, um, "We can't take over the world without money." <laughs> so they go, "All oh, right, okay, let let's sell our weapons then. Let's not well, let's sell them. You can have these weapons, but you have to pay for them now." <laughs> so um, that, that's kind of what they do. They wear these gorgeously simple. Uh, do a little, do a little um, Google search now for his aim beekeeper. Right, they, oh, they're these God. bizarre yellow jumpsuits with beekeeper helmets. Um, a gorgeous Stanley design from the very late sixties. Oh. Not Stanley, sorry, Jack Kirby design. Look at that! It looks like a very sexy hazmat suit. 
Yeah. Isn't that perfect faceless henchmen? That's... Right? Uh, oh, I, I don't know. I kind of like it, but the square head annoys me on a very deep level. <laughs> but they've got no personality. They've got no face. They've got no nothing. They're yeah. just utter, like, punching bags for any superhero. They're great. They really are tremendous. Um, yeah. They... Um, what do they do? They They create... The Cosmic Cube. Wow. And I'm going to quiz Will now, ladies and gentlemen, which is known in the MCU as... The Tesseract. The Cosmic... Yay! I'm so proud of you, Bubba. <laughs> oh, like a proud Jewish mama. Well done. Yeah, the Tesseract. So, yeah, AIM creates... Because remember, in the Marvel Universe, the Cosmic Cube is roughly as powerful as the Infinity Gauntlet as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's not a part of the Infinity Gauntlet. It's on its own. AIM creates the Cosmic Cube from stuff. They, I don't know how you do it. They just bash stuff together and do a bit of soldering and all of a sudden plug a wire in and you've got a Cosmic Cube that can warp and alter reality. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure how, how that comes about, but that's one of their big inventions. They also create a favourite of the show, it's a crying shame he's not already been on the MCU. Modoc, floating chair giant head baby man. Oh, God. The yeah. mo- uh, mobile organism designed only for killing. Um, he's one of theirs, and he leads AIM for a while. Many talks like that! <laughs> and they also created something... It's an... Okay, let's see if you can... You might, So it's an android, right? Yeah. That can adapt to the superpowers of those people around him. What do you think they call him? Well, obviously, adapt to the superpowers of those uh, around him. Is it, is it Adaptopus or something? It's the Super Adaptoid. <laughs> what? <laughs> that sounds like the knockoff. Yeah, toid. That sounds like a knockoff version of what that should have been. <laughs> uh, the Super Adaptoid. He's big and green, and he can. Um, he he has all the powers of Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Giant Man, and the rest of the Avengers at the same time. He holds oh, all man. those powers at the same time. So he can do repulsor blast from his hand. Um, he can fly like Thor. He's got a hammer and a shield, and he's got Hawkeye's bow and arrows, and he can grow massive. He's uh, very dangerous. Very, very, very dangerous. That's AIM. Right, so they're basically like uh, they're like Hydra with a better research and development department. I tell you what, they're like the Genius Bar. If the Genius Bar <laughs> at Apple <laughs> weaponized and went mad, <laughs> went and we're actually madder. geniuses. I mean, the, the, yeah. the most evil thing they do is dodge tax, but you know, <laughs> oh, biting satire. Take that, capitalism. Yeah, he, he says. Oh, from, yours, Jobs. He says using a Mac or something. <laughs> anyway, pressing play on the movie. Following the events of the Avengers, Tony Stark has spent all his time building dozens of new suits of power armor. It is clear that his near-death experience while destroying the Chitari has had a deep effect on him as he starts showing signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. During a meeting with James Rhodes, who is now known as the Iron Patriot, with the War Machine armour now sporting a Captain America-inspired design job. So, uh, wait a minute. 
I think there's a bit of text missing here. It's what happens during the meeting? Are they discussing? Probably. They, they, we'll discuss. We'll, right, we'll talk about what they discuss. He said something. He said, we'll talk about what they discuss in yeah. a second. But a lot <laughs> happens here. A lot happens here. Because to- what do you? Sorry. What do you think of that? What do you think of that armor? Oh God! I'm surprised they didn't play um, Ted Nugent when he walked in. I'm very surprised that didn't happen. <laughs> I, 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 it, it felt very. Oh, what? What? Are you? Are you supposed to be uh, a superhero or a NASCAR vehicle? <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. What are you? Not enough adverts for NASCAR. Not enough. You know, you are. You are several bumper stickers short of a NASCAR. That's what you are, mate. You need a federal <laughs> flag or, or not? But um, that. Oh God, I, I don't know. I, I, I knew it was going to happen. I knew they had to do something like this, and I know that when it comes to the concept of Iron Man and War Machine, you got you got to have this sense of oh, we've got a dominating uh, weapon here, but at the same time, it's a bit flashy, a bit American. So obviously, <laughs> the logical conclusion: put the flag on it, <laughs> paint the bloody flag on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, also, That's, yeah, don't call it. Machine like, of War. Machine, yeah, exactly. Hey, kids, want to buy a toy called Machine of War? I, I like that. I, I reckon a PR department, like inside the, 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 the not the Ministry of Defense, the depart, the DOD, what the you know, Department of Defense or whatever in America, in the <clears> film, just went. You know, War Machine sounds a bit oppressive, lads. <laughs> <laughs> or guys whatever the American equivalent of lads is and then they just go how about the iron and they don't want to say man they just go patriot great <laughs> get the Bob boys on. and marketing that's exactly how it happened I, I mean I can't imagine anything else yeah also before we go a bit more into uh, War Machine uh, I like that uh, Tony's experimenting in some weird ways by putting microchips under his skin so he could put on his suit remotely in little pieces. Yeah. I Yeah, I, we yeah. will Yeah. That that's an odd combination of two things. It's a little bit extremist and it's a little bit we'll, we'll, when we get to his experimental armor a little bit later on, Mark 5042, we'll we'll chat a bit more about the the modular basis of the armor. Oh, more more than happy to because I I like I like that a lot. So, back to War Machine. Or, sorry, the Iron Patriot. Uh, during Iron Man 2, uh, this Iron Patriot looks a diff- like a different video game skin, essentially. It looks like uh, <laughs> two people wanted to play as War Machine, and one of them was too slow when pressing A. And they ended uh, up with this... Oh, with this, I'm in the Iron Patriot. With this, frankly... Uh, what was that TV show? Um, they, they, they look like the Dukes of Hazard in... Uh, Iron Man form, basically. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, is this an inside? You're thinking of the wrong flag. You're I, thinking I, that would be that would be a that would be you know the Iron Confederate, <laughs> and that would be a very different movie. Oh god! Yeah. Oh god! <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So that that whole skin is that an inside joke? Does Rhodey become the Iron Patriot in the comic books? Is that did that happen? It's catchphrase time. Oh, sort of, of but not, not really. really. <laughs> <laughs> so the the Iron Patriot is definitely a comic book thing, but it's not Roadie, right? Okay. The Iron Patriot is the Green Goblin. Oh yes, you did say this before. Ah, oh. the Iron Patriot is Norman Osborn. Um, 
So after the events of both the superhero, superhuman civil war mm. and the secret invasion, Norman Osborn goes from being uh, a despised villain <laughs> in, you know, in custody to being a national hero and basically gets given Nick Fury's job. <laughs> and he's to take over S.H.I.E.L.D. and renovate it and, and run it. At, at this time in the comic books, Captain America is dead and gone. And Tony Stark is on the run from the government. Osborne gets handed not just kind of like S.H.I.E.L.D., but he also gets handed Stark Industries. All of the Avengers equipment. All of Tony Stark's armour and blueprints and everything. And Osborne puts together his own team of Dark Avengers. So he has, instead of Thor, he has Ares, the Greek god of war. Yeah. Um, instead of Spider-Man, he, he recruits Venom. <laughs> and he, he he brings on board Wolverine's psychotic son, um, and he has Bullseye, the dead the guy that like murders Daredevil's girlfriend every week. He has Bullseye pretend to be the new Hawkeye. I mean, it's a slight Very name sick. change. It's a slight name yeah, change on the sick, door. A sick bunch of puppies. Yeah. Um, and they play to the public, you know, and they have. So what what Osborne does is he decides that. What we need, when we don't have... Um, we need someone to give the public someone that's like Captain America and Iron Man, but rolled into one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a leader. So he, he commandeers one of Tony's suits of armour, sprays it red, white, and blue, calls himself the Iron Patriot. The government love it. The people, the American people love it. And and there we go. That's the Iron Patriot. I down, down the line, Rhodey does... Briefly wear the Iron Patriot armor, but not for very long. It's uh, mm. it's a, totally a so it the reason why it jars with you, why you look at that and think that's so dumb, that's so obvious, that's so is because it's an evil villain. <laughs> it's an evil villain's idea. He's going. This is a thing that will work. This is a <laughs> stupid thing. I'll just roll two characters in together, and it will fool idiots. And that so that's why it's really jarring to see. It is because it's. Norman Osborn's great plan. It looks like what Trump would design for the Space Force uniforms. Yeah, it won't be far off. So I, <laughs> it's odd to see. I think it's. A, I do think it's kind of a cool design. I think it kind of looks a little cool. I must admit. Yeah, it's it, it's tongue in cheek for me. Although I would like to see an Iron Man suit come down and then the faceplate opens to reveal Willem Dafoe and he just goes, "Hello, Spider Man." <laughs> That would be good, yeah. Be but in William Defoe's voice, not not that one. Oh, oh, wow, wow. Not whatever that was. <laughs> wow, denied. Impression denied. <laughs> hey, anyway. normally you are spot on with them, but not that time. I, I, I like the double-handed compliment there. It keeps me going. <laughs> so, back to the movie. Uh, the two, uh, Iron Man and uh, Iron Patriot, discuss a new terrorist leader known as the Mandarin. Rhodes reveals there have been more bombings than have been reported on the news and intelligence agencies have been left mystified by the lack of physical evidence left behind. Rhodes insists that Stark not get involved as the US government is keen to handle this themselves to reassure people who have been left nervous following the Chitauri invasion. The discussion is interrupted when two children are Stark to sign a drawing of him carrying the nuclear missile through the wormhole, and the image clearly puts Stark on edge. 
When one of the children asks how he escaped the wormhole, this triggers a severe panic attack and Stark leaves abruptly concerning Rhodes. So, I, mean, I know we're going to get on something serious here, but when we see the lovely edited videos of um, the Mandarin, one question, what is Sir Ben Kingsley's accent? <laughs> Well, I think it's, you know, it's meant to be broadly ambiguous, isn't it? Hello, Euro, there, Euro, West Euro and West Eurian, European Western. Eurasian. Yeah, Eurasian. They're, they're great videos. I think they're really, they're really, they're really cool. Oh, yeah. It, it looks like, it, it reminds me of the loading screen from a Call of Duty game. <laughs> it does look like in between. Okay, it's obviously a bit, some people might get the reference. It looks like something from a Call of Duty video game to me the, 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 the only thing I find whenever I see the, these kind of terrorist videos in TV shows and movies and, and video games is yeah. that we've all seen actual terrorist videos <laughs> they don't have these kind of special these kind of like vo- they don't have any of the te- they don't look anywhere near as good as this it's a dude in a cave like and a tripod it, it's not you know what I mean like the, the, in all media now, when we see these terrorist videos, they're all slickly produced, and they look really like I. I think I might sign up for whatever this guy's selling. <laughs> but actual terrorist videos are just shoddily knocked together. Oh, they're they're, they're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. I tell you one thing though, I did find out uh, what uh, the other year is that ISIS have their own syndicated magazine, apparently, and it's w- really well put oh, together. Like a, like a- <laughs> Like an in-house magazine. Yeah, they have a magazine or something. <laughs> and it's like, oh, articles oh. about ISIS. It's like, what? ISIS life. Yeah, I Catch know. up with what everyone's been up to. <laughs> <laughs> Martyr of the month. <laughs> it's Dan. <laughs> From accounting. <laughs> he can't collect his prize. Oh, damn. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> On to the more serious subject, more serious, obviously, than terrorism. Uh, we, we see Stark suffering from panic attacks here. I mean, this this is quite a bit, this is quite heavy. I mean, I mean what's his mental health like in the comic books, apart from alcoholism, obviously? Oh, oh so he's going to talk about alcoholism. Well, that, it, it's kind of, that's it, really, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, they handle this really well um, in the movies, I think. Uh, alcohol Addiction and alcoholism is his main is his main health issue in the comic books. But what's really interesting is that post-traumatic stress, this all happened to Rhodey in the comic books, not Tony. Okay. When Rhodey took over the role of Iron Man, there was a, it took place in a great big battle on a space station in orbit. Hmm. And due to several accidents and mistakes and things, Rhodey had to re-enter the atmosphere like on his own, wearing just essentially falling to earth, just wearing the Iron Man armor. It's a horrifying experience. He felt like he was burning to death the entire time because yeah. it was that hot. And from that point on, Rhodey could not put, couldn't look at the armor or put the armor on without experiencing a panic attack and having PTSD symptoms. Ooh, no. And that led him to resign as, as Iron Man um, and try and help in other ways. He managed to kind of move past it. But yeah, it was interesting to see they have done PTSD in Iron Man, but not, not Tony. It was it was Rhodey. That's a horrible image, being inside one of those suits yeah. during re-entry. It's, it, it's a very famous Iron Man front cover. Um, he is falling to earth, and you can actually... Because you can't see the face, but you can... Sometimes when they want to show... 
um, emotion in Iron Man or, or someone wearing the armor, they'll draw the eye slits kind of a bit bigger yeah. so that you can, instead of seeing a white slit, they'll draw the human eyes in. Yeah. And you can you can draw quite a lot of panic in those eyes. Yeah. yeah it's horrifying. Oh. Ah. Damn. Anyway, back to the action. That night, Stark has a nightmare about his near death. Thinking he's in distress, Tony's armour reacts quickly and nearly attacks Pepper Potts. Scared and angry, Pepper is ready to leave Tony, so he finally admits that something about him has changed since he left New York City. The situation becomes even worse when Pepper is visited by Killian, who happens to be her old love interest. Killian is now far more suave and confident and no longer shows any signs of his previous handicap. Pepper rejects Killian's invitation into advanced idea mechanics. Now, this made me happy because, you know, suddenly, hey, Guy Pierce remembered how to be sexy. <laughs> I think that's what that, that, that's what the uh, that's what we'll find out extremist does. It just makes you sexy. It oh, makes you deeply, deeply sexy. I mean, no, they, they, I mean, everybody who was on, on board with extremists later was very, very attractive. Uh, also, Killian seems like he's uh, he's the new Tony Stark here, just like we had with the uh, Hammer. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 except. He was never Justin Hammer wasn't like suave or yeah. cool or sexy, was he? He was he was like a bumbling kind of attempt to be Tony. I find who who played him again in Iron Man Two. Sam Rockwell. So I find Sam Rockwell uh, very endearing in most things he does. <laughs> so he's so, great. Yeah, he's great. So uh, Killian, he's a comic book character, right? Yeah, but not not like this. In the comic books, the first and only time we meet Killian, he's already shot himself in the head. Oh, so we don't ever we don't ever get to hear him speak or walk around or anything. He's dead. Day one, dead. He, he, um, he popped up in a Lego Marvel game I was playing. Yeah, well, they're based on the movies, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. So he he's one of the scientists who created the extremist virus. No connection to AIM. Not someone Tony has ever known. He's dead before Tony. No, Tony. Tony literally never meets him, and he commits suicide and leaves a confession for Mayor Hansen, saying that he stole their work, extremists, and he let it loose in the world for the greater good. And that's it. That's 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 his end of his entire role and involvement. He doesn't take extremists. He doesn't become a villain. Never see the character again. So he's the main he's a villain. Plot device. Ish. The main villain in the extremist story arc is a terrorist called Malin, who is the first person to take the extremist when when Killian, Killian releases it, and Malin becomes transformed into something similar to the figure we see Killian become at the end of the movie. Hmm. So it's odd. He, he, this this character seems to be a combination. Of maybe Malin and 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 Killian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. So the movie continues. Happy Hogan becomes suspicious of Killian's bodyguard Eric Savin and investigates him at the Chinese theater. When he witnesses someone unexpectedly combust, it destroys the Chinese theater and puts Hogan into the Los Angeles Mercy Hospital. Eric Savin escapes, mysteriously regenerating from his injuries. Now. Have you ever seen 
the nine, I think it's 1994 or 1995, uh, Pierce Brosnan film Livewire. Livewire? No. It's a terrible film. That sounds like film. something I'm going to watch tonight. It's, if you like bad movies, like, you know, it almost like a TV I love Pierce Brosnan movies, it, especially yeah. from the 90s. Oh, man. It, that's about, it's about exploding people. It's about pe- pe- rigging Ooh. people to explode. So it's like, I'm there, like, watching this, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is Livewire. <laughs> Have you seen, um, it was the greatest exploding um, plot device in any movie, you must have seen the Jean-Claude Van Damme film Knockoff. I have barely seen any Jean-Claude Van Damme films. Knockoff is about Jean-Claude Van Damme hunting down counterfeit jeans. They're not designer <laughs> jeans. They're knockoffs. How knockoffed are they? These jeans are so counterfeit, they explode! <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you have to see this film. Rob Schneider's in it as well. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Knock off. So what's some Levi yeah. C4s? Jeez, that's... Uh... Yeah. Also... Um, don't wait. buy... So- I reckon, honestly, I reckon the entire thing was funded by Levi. As if to say, don't buy knockoff jeans on the street, kid. They might kill you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that sounds like oh. a long, long advert. Jeez. Uh, also, when Tony Stark is looking at the crime scene, he's using a hologram... Uh, and I, I, I'm going to come out and say it. That's not Tony Stark's power. That's Batman. Batman in the Arkham series does that. He has virtual augmented reality. It's really reality. interesting you say that because Warren Ellis has Batman do that in the comic books. Yeah. And Warren Ellis wrote the story that this is sort of based on, but that isn't in it anyway. Um, no, I, I disagree. Um, Tony's been using hologram things. I mean, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. It's not necessarily crime scenes, but yeah. It's it's just because I've I played all of the Arkham uh, Batman games and you get to do that so I can much. tell that I can tell that from a hundred feet away, a <laughs> hundred feet away from you. I can take a look and go. He's played all the Batman Arkham games. <laughs> Put money on it. <laughs> That's because my Steam profile's public. <laughs> but I, I said I appreciated it because I love those bits in the games where you get to. Uh, look at holograms but anyway no, yeah it's a little away. bit like minority report as well isn't it where he does a lot of that in minority minority report where he he pulls holographic images out of stories and he pulls a holographic crime scene apart and turns it around and goes into it yeah I've, I've not seen minority report but i did see the future armor episode spoofing it <laughs> oh god if that counts <laughs> this is like you and all instances of history I, I don't remember learning about that, but I do remember it cropping up in an episode of Simpsons. <laughs> yes, that is me to a T. That is me. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's go by let's 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 talk about the guy who looks like me. Eric Savin uh, seems <laughs> he looks like me. It's it's except a bit more handsomer. I'll say uh, Eric Savin seems like a handy henchman to have around. What can you tell us about him? Oh God, this guy wrinkled my brain. Wrinkled your brain. So he's. Yeah, I can't understand it. They're doing the extremist storyline. Yeah. They've got Killian as the main mastermind. Okay. Sort of. It would make absolute sense for his henchmen, who has powers to do all the fighting, to be Malon, the super terrorist from extremists. Yeah. Who has the powers and does the fighting. Nope. They dig up Eric Savin, a character so obscure... 
I did not remember him at all when I first saw this movie. I had to go and do research when this film came out. <laughs> because I recognised aspects of the... Mainly it's because they didn't use his name. They don't use the character name, they use his real name. And, uh, you know, I don't, it's really obscure. Like, would you, you've heard of Iron Fist, right? Oh, God, I, I, I endured the Netflix series... <laughs> oh, that's a bad example then, because you know, anyway, it's yeah. like someone could quite easily have heard of Iron Fist, but they would not have necessarily heard of his like real name. Anyway, in the comic books, Eric Savin is a cyborg called Cold Blood Seven. Um, <laughs> he is the tiniest of minor characters. It is utterly baffling that they decided to use this guy in a movie. He's a very forgettable character. He's made a handful of appearances in 20 years. I don't think he's even met Iron Man in the comic books, ever. Mm. He He's kind of um, like a Universal Soldier origin. You know that movie? Uh, another no, another Van Damme movie. Second Van-, Van Damme reference of the episode. <laughs> Universal Soldier. So he's a soldier who got blown up by a landmine and brought back to life as a cyborg. He tracks down his evil masters... When he gets rid of them, he becomes a mercenary. And he's kind of an, an anti-hero. Honestly, though, he I, I really think he's probably got less than 10 appearances in Marvel Comics. Wow. Less than 10. I, I would, I'd be amazed if it was more than that. I'd be amazed if it was 10, actually. Um, utterly, utterly weird. And, yeah. Cold Blood 7. Bizarre. Ugh. Bizarre. So, pressing play again. Shortly after issuing a threat to the Mandarin, Stark is unexpectedly visited by Hansen, and at the same time, Stark's home is attacked and destroyed by Mandarin's helicopters. Stark survives the attack, but his experimental Mark 42 armor leaves him stranded in a sorry, leaves him stranded in a small town in Tennessee without any power. As the Mandarin starts issuing more threats of terrorism, the world believes Iron Man is dead. So they made Iron Man a lot more vulnerable in this film, didn't they? They basically, uh, yeah, they, they they had him take through. Okay, he was in he was in the new suit. The new suit didn't really work, so they made they made it a bit more interesting and, and made him throw a piano at a helicopter, which I I, I kind of <laughs> like that. I like that that aspect to it. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Yeah, it's not quite throwing a. Uh throwing a car at a helicopter like John McClane does but uh, piano's pretty good yeah it, and then of course like and now he's sort of out of the suit it's like I remember there was there was if you watched the uh, was it Honest Trailers on the on YouTube there's a, there's a series called Honest Trailers and basically it's a guy okay. who looks at all these film trailers and the films and then basically tears tears into it but doing the movie yeah. voice and it's like a, an iron man film where he's not iron man because <laughs> he spent so yeah. much time, time out of the suit and it's like yeah also uh we get to see uh, another a minor character uh, the vice president and i only mentioned this because he's played by miguel ferrer agent rosenfield from twin peaks <laughs> oh was that right i didn't spot that i, no, I spotted him right that, away yeah, he's, he's 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 a very memorable character from Twin Peaks. <laughs> right, cool, yeah. cool, cool. That's that's all I can say on him. So, <laughs> but, but Rob, is there anything you could tell us about the new experimental arm we see here? 
I know you want, we want to talk about art. Is this Mark 42? Yeah, apparently, in the, in, the, in the movie, yeah, the marks get mixed yeah. up. Yeah, it is in the movies, yeah. It is Mark yeah. 42, yeah. yeah. Um, having, having all the different parts of the armour operate individually is really cool. Yeah. Like, having them fly to him... And they, they've got all. They're all. They've all got repul, um, repulsor power, so they can all fly and uh, lob themselves onto his base suit underneath. Yeah. This, this makes it um, very close to. Well, not very close to. This is this is the what's called the modular armor from the comic books. Yeah. The idea being that Tony has like the simple base suit underneath, and then all these different components like the gauntlets the boots and the helmet, they can all be added or changed individually. So he can change the armour to suit whatever situation might 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 come up. If he needs to be... Uh, if he needs to have a lot of strength and power, he can put a lot of power on. If he needs to be quick and mobile, he can get rid of that stuff and be quicker and nimble. It's like the Batmobile and when bits even... come off. It's like the Batmobile yeah, when it turns similar, into the Batmobile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is where... The Hulkbuster, the Hulkbuster armor is an add-on to modular armor. <laughs> First, he creates the modular armor, and then he's like, "Oh, I need to bust me some Hulks, fly all this extra stuff on." Um, this and it's 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 bright. It's more gold than any other color, which is a mm. brighter color scheme and all that. It first came around in 1994, and this particular armor became very popular, mainly because. It was the armor used for the '90s cartoon series of Iron Man. This exact that, seen, that look. That the the, the '90s yeah. cartoon series had a fantastic opening theme. <laughs> yeah, it's also yeah. the design they use in the Marvel vs. Capcom game. All the early Capcom stuff of Iron Man. He looks. He's got the modular armor, so it's a very yellow kind of torso, um, like yeah. he has here. So yeah, that. That's what this Mark 42 is. It's modular. And it's meant to be that he can alter it for whatever the situation is and just kind of like chop and change. I need to play those Marvel vs. Capcom games because they include characters from Resident Evil, which is mental. <laughs> so, They're good uh, fun. Never th- also, making the, the Hulkbuster armor, like that must have been awkward if, if Bruce Banner walked in. While he was making it, <laughs> he's like, "What are you doing there? Um, are you building? Are, are you planning to punch me in the face?" <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've just spent the last four months working out a way to punch you in the face. Yeah, while you're That's angry. what I've been doing here in my garage. <laughs> so Tony's in a difficult spot here. So Stark uses his apparent death to his advantage, conducting an investigation into an explosion that bears the same hallmarks. As one of the Mandarin's attacks, but which leaves the man, but which the Mandarin did not claim responsibility for, with the help of Harley, a young boy living in the town, Stark discovers that each of the Mandarin's explosions was triggered by soldiers that were injected with extremists, the same experimental treatment engineered by Mayor Hansen. Uh, extremists, however, has a fatal flaw. In the event of a, of a sorry, in the event a user is unable to regulate their internal body temperature, they will start to gain heat at an exponential rate and explode. So this is probably the best time to discuss it. Extremist seems a bit vague in the film, and I, I will I will say it didn't feel very Iron Man for me. 
I didn't feel it. It didn't feel Iron Man for me. It, it felt very fantasy. It, it bordered on fantasy, on sci-fi fantasy for me because it was a bit too bizarre. Does it? You don't. You don't think Iron Man's sci-fi fantasy? It's sci-fi. Sci-fi. This is when you get into the area of sci-fi of genetic manipulation. You got to re- you got to really toe a line, otherwise you get into this whole like basically genetic manipulation is magic, and then it's like we're going to make exploding people and people that can breathe fire. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna hate extremists then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so is it is it the same with the yeah. comic books? Yeah. For the it's so vague in this movie, isn't it? What what extremist is? It's something odd. For the origins of extremists in the comic books, we, we need to remember that episode we did on, on Captain America. Yeah. We talked about how Cap was like the first the first shot in an, in, a, in a new arms race. The a, a race to develop super soldiers. Do you remember mm-hmm. we talked about how that would come to dominate different corners of the Marvel Universe for decades? The Weapon X program that that creates yeah. Wolverine and X-Men. That's a super soldier thing. And this is like another shady corner of the Marvel Universe trying to do just that. In the comic books, Extremis is the bleeding edge of super soldier tech. It is right. a like a magic bullet injection, like the super <laughs> soldier serum was. And what yeah. it injects into the soldier is nanites that oh. hack the body's repair center yeah. right and the nanites tell when you when you cut your arm the repair center of the body says there's something wrong with the body and we need to change it to make it back to how it should be so extremist hacks the repair center and it can reprogram what your body should be so it takes over the repair center and the repair center is then told that the body is all wrong. The whole body is is a wound. It needs to be changed to what it should be, which is whatever you want it to be, right? So mm. it doesn't just heal. It can grow extra organs. It can grow new limbs or extra yeah. limbs. Malin, the super terrorist, gives himself super strength, speed, a healing factor. He can grow metal claws he can discharge powerful electricity. He can breathe fire that melts Iron Man's armor. Ooh. He just programs himself to have the total like weapon terrorism package. And Tony takes extremism takes sorry extremism <laughs> takes extremists during during the story um, because mm. he gets completely destroyed by Malin, and he can't compete with this new super soldier. So he has to take it himself. He believes. And Tony's hack, when he hacks his own body, it's a lot more reasonable and gentle because he sees how overpower, overpowering yourself can destroy yourself. So yeah. he gives himself the ability to interface with tech and control it. So his armor is like part of his body. But he also gives himself new, much healthier, stronger organs. And a, resp- <laughs> a very strong respiratory system, so yeah. that his body can cope with being the pilot of a one-man fighter jet that he wears like a tuxedo, because he says, "This has been hell on my body." 
Yeah. People should not. Human beings should not do this. So he, he reprograms it and he goes, oh, what I need is a better nervous system, stronger respiratory system, like stronger, healthier organs. This is what I need. And then the big one that plays out for a long time is that he hacks his own brain and makes it so that he can process information as quick as a computer. Oh, yes. So that's what extremist is like in the comic books. It's, it's essentially a super soldier serum. But See, I, we learn, yeah, it does not work on everybody. The vast majority of people blow up. Oh, I was about to say I liked the idea of nanotechnology because I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, with with sci-fi, I love uh, like na- uh, nano augmentations when it comes to stuff like uh, the Deus Ex series of video games, and also the other year I read the Michael Crichton book Prey about nanobots, and that was ridiculous as well. And I like the idea. I, I like that instead of vague virus or serum, they're little tiny robots doing things. Because I'll get on board with that. <laughs> I, get, I get on board with that yeah, right yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind yeah. of cool, though. Yeah, I prefer that to uh, Magical Potion. So the movie continues. Oh, sorry. Things are funny, you should say. It. Things are hotting up now. Uh, Stark witnesses the power of extremists firsthand. When he's attacked by Eric Savin and Ellen Brandt, assassins working for the Mandarin, Stark sets fire to a building that explodes Brandt and crashes a water tower on top of Savin's body. Savin survives while Stark abandons Harley and flees town. So Ellen Brandt, uh, this, now, before we get onto her, um, one thing that annoyed me was despite, uh, okay, despite the heat, despite the fire. Their clothes don't catch fire and their hair doesn't singe. <laughs> That's the first thing I noticed. Yeah, I, I, well, you know, what can they do? It's a movie. They can't have naked people. I, I um, know, especially under Disney. But I thought, I looked at Eric, Eric Savin and thought, oh, that's why he's bald. <laughs> just because he's been... I tell you what kind of, <laughs> what bugs me is, is the Harley character. Like this yeah. kid. Like... It feels like he's meant to be important or special or yeah. he's gonna it's gonna come back somehow or Tony's gonna adopt it. It just is it's it's absolutely nothing, isn't it? It's a bit it, of a dead nothing. end with a slight callback at it's, the end of it's the film. It's so odd. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He's there, it's, it's, you know he's there at he's you know he's there at Tony's funeral. No. Yeah. Oh, the same wow. actor. The, the funeral is like the Avengers, and then a yeah. and a kid, and it's it's the same actor, so it's Harley. So wow. it's just like that, which reinforces the idea that this character is maybe meant to be special somehow, or have a connect. I I, I just don't get it. They're gonna it's reveal- like they had to cut a big yeah. section out of the film. I think they're going to reveal it to be someone important, but I don't know. But anyway, Ellen nah. Grant. Is she anyone that we should know? Is she important? <sighs> right, so Eric Savin <laughs> was, was, was painful. This, uh, I, I do not understand why they selected this goddamn minor character. <laughs> I don't think it... So, you guys out there, Will, you might be um, aware of a confusing DC comic book character called Swamp Thing. Yeah. Yeah. He had toys and a cartoon and a couple of movies and now a TV show. Right. What you won't be aware of 
is that there's a less confusing Marvel ripoff called Man Thing. <laughs> um, almost exactly the same. A scientist that becomes a swamp monster. In, in, in Marvel Comics, scientist Ted Salis is in the swamp trying to recreate... Uh, you guessed it, the Super Soldier Serum! Yay! Again. And Ellen... <laughs> Ellen Brant's his neglected girlfriend who has had it up to here, ladies and gentlemen, and my hand is right by the top of my flipping head. That's how much he's had it up to. <laughs> so one night she turns on him, pulls a gun, and reveals that she's just started working for AIM. And she's been stealing his research for, for all these years. She shoots Ted. Ted falls into the swamp and falls into his own chemicals and emerges the other side, the monstrous man-thing. He also Ugh. develops this... Um, Bizarre power. He's got like a psychic ability, but he's got his curse as well. If he mm. touches you and you're afraid, you burn uncontrollably. That's his superpower. Anything so he- the man thing touches, if it knows fear, it burns. <laughs> so the man thing doesn't know this when he first comes out of the swamp and he goes up to his ex girlfriend and Disfigures her horribly. Oh um, God! She, she eventually works her way back to kind of reward towards redemption and becomes the man thing's friend and tries to see if there's any much of her old boyfriend Ted left in there and they eventually get merged together by something called the nexus of all realities that we don't have time for. And yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of. As I as I as I put this together, I was like, "How is she a nineteen seventies like kind of horror character connected to?" I realized she does have a name connection, but also, like Eric Savin, uh, Cold Blood Seven, is essentially a super soldier. Hmm. Ellen Brandt was working with with Ted Salis, who's working on Super Soldier. And the extremist program in the comic... All these are comic book connections. In the comic books, extremist is a super soldier uh, serum, kind of. So it it made me think that whoever was writing the movie was really like... They knew what extremist was. They knew it was all about super soldiers. And so they wrote all these back doors in for super soldier connected characters. And then, writing by committee, some other dude swings into the room and goes, No! Make it as vague as possible. No more super soldier connection. It just makes people explode. <laughs> and um, that leaves us with weird stuff. That sounds like the, a the, mess. The, be- the best. It's a mess. It's <laughs> the a best mess. thing about this is that Marvel used to publish oversized comic books uh, and and called them giant sized X Men or giant sized Avengers. Uh, at one point in the 70s, they did this without any hint of self-awareness. Marvel pu- published a comic book with the porniest title in history. Giant-sized man-thing. <laughs> right there on the newsstands next to, you know, Donald Duck. Most famous. Mommy, can I, can I have a dollar to buy giant-sized man-thing? Oh, you're grounded. I'm sorry. <laughs> sounds like someone drunk trying to remember something. He's like a giant-sized man thing. So that's that's the name. I'm going to type that into Pornhub later on. See what happens. Oh no, 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 no. 
<laughs> so the movie. Don't in- judge me. I, don't I, I, kink shame me. No, I'm not, not kink shaming you. Just I, I don't want to. I, I did Good. it earlier and felt very insecure. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie continues. Further investigating into the Mandarin, he realizes that all sol- that all soldiers were once members of Advanced Ideas Mechanics, Killian's company. Stark works out that Killian had modified extremists for the Mandarin and his terrorist attacks. Mayor Henson tells Pepper that she's been working with Killian in an attempt to draw Tony into fixing extremists' flaws. As soon as Pepper learns this, Killian arrives and kidnaps her. With Harley's help, Stark traces the Mandarin to Miami, where he infiltrates the Mandarin's headquarters with a variety of homemade weapons. I like this, um, this scene. Because all I could think of, and I know it, you're not going to get it, but it's just, for anyone who plays video games out there, it just it felt a lot like Split the later Splinter Cell games to me. It felt exactly the little gadgets, I, the little sneaking. I felt it very much, it very much resonated with me in terms of having played video games before. I don't think I, I played. I think I played the first. No, no, it was a Tom. It's Tom Clancy Splinter Cell, isn't he? I it's, played one yeah. of the early Tom Clancy, no Rainbow Six. I Rainbow played. Six. I think that was one of the first. Yep. One of the early Tom Clancy's on the PC. Um, yeah, it does remind me a lot of you know breaking into a compound and doing it as quietly as possible so not to alert all the guards. That's a hallmark of a video game, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, but the, the the smoothness, the the way he's got the bag on his back, the little electro gadgets and stuff. That's that Splinter Cell, and I I I was all for that. So it was a really cool sequence. You know, Tony. Basically, he has a mitten, doesn't he? A woolen mitten and <laughs> as, uh, with a gadget in, which I liked. Uh, but not having a full suit, but using small gadgets, uh, you know, all, all that little stuff. Does that, any of that ever happen in the comic? In all my years of reading Iron Man, the only time I've ever seen him doing this was during another Warren Ellis story. <laughs> Warren Ellis, the guy that wrote Extremist, that this seems to be kind of a lot based on. He he wrote for the Ultimate Marvel Universe. We, we talked about this in, in past episodes. The Ultimate Marvel Universe, very separate to the regular Marvel Universe, 616. It's like a um, uh, a reboot of the Marvel Universe. And a lot more, some of it's a lot more adult. It's a, it's a side universe. And, he, and Ellis in that wrote the ultimate version of Armor Wars, which is a very famous Iron Man story from the, from the 70s and 80s. And in that Warren Ellis story, Tony had to go undercover uh, in, in, in different countries and not draw attention to himself. So he left the full suit behind and he went around exactly like this using cool gadgets. He had like the small repulsor on his hand. He had tech in the glasses. Mm. He had little bits of tech. So I think whoever was involved in this script had definitely done their homework, especially on Warren Ellis Iron Man comics, of which there aren't many. No, it sounds like that was a short run. Also, you said Warren Ellis likes to make things, ooh, a bit real, ooh, a bit this. That sounds like, hey, it's so real he hasn't got a suit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what he likes to do. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. So, back to the action. Inside the compound, Tony discovers that the Mandarin is actually a British actor named Tony Slattery, who is completely oblivious to the acts the Mandarin has carried out the Mandarin is revealed to be Killian's creation. It's it's a funny it's a funny reveal, if a bit cringy. Yeah, it's it's I know it's played for laughs, but it's like oh here's here's uh, here's the man who once played Gandhi, 
doing a Shoreditch kind of va- accent, you know, with a man bun and everything, going, all right, guys, I was, like, totally nerd, uh, totally stumped, and totally like this. And it's like, it's funny, but at the same time a bit cringy, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. I... Also, I did laugh at the Croydon reference. <laughs> it was the toast of Croydon. How? This King Lear was I mean... the toast of Croydon. I love it. What if? Imagine if they spent the whole move, a whole movie building up Loki, oh. and then the reveal was, oh, Loki, he's actually um, like a circus entertainer. <laughs> he's not really Loki. Ah, you've been fooled. This... You probably laugh in the in the moment, yeah. but ha- you've just wasted a character, haven't you? Pretty much have. It'd be. I, was, I thought for a second you were going to say actually there was an issue where it turned out Loki was a circus entertainer. It. There's a there's a weird DC Comics Brainiac connection. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we, we haven't got time. We'll save that for our DC podcast, which I'll never do. <laughs> crisis, crisis on infinite DCs. <laughs> oh, you're talking me into it now, actually. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm really good at naming things. So, I know we, we actually talked about the Mandarin back in the first episode, Uh so I yeah. think now is the time we talk about the Mandarin a bit more. Uh, I take it he's not a British actor. No, no. no. Although um, he, he does at one stage say that he was educated in like the finest universities of Britain, oh, yeah. which is a very white person writing an Indian character trope. Um, you say you will find you will come across that an awful lot in, especially in the sixties and seventies. That, yeah, yeah. I think that's actually happened with some real life evil people. Like, it... oh, it's it's happened with a lot of a lot of people. It happened to a lot of very rich families, but it is also a trope. It is. It is a bit of a and trope. It's it and it, it has um, it has unfortunate racial connotations of uh, we can't believe uh, a person from a non-Western country could be this intelligent. Ooh, yeah. So we write the backstory of they were educated in one of our white universities. So, what? yeah, it's a little... Oh. Yeah. Um, Mandarin is the classic Iron Man villain. Introduced in 1964, horribly racist and offensive to look at <laughs> um, in terms of how awful stereotypes were drawn. Iron Man in the 60s is all about East versus West, America versus communism, and and that's really where the Mandarin played a big role. There was also a lot of pulp fiction from the 30s on through about Eastern crime lords. So Stanley and Don Heck kind of threw these things together. You know, basically any movie they'd ever seen. There's a there's there's karate and kung fu elements in there, um, and there's there's dragon elements because that's a thing they think they know about the east, <laughs> and there's communism because that's in the newspapers, and there's you know, and it all gets thrown together. Oh, and also he's a descendant of Genghis Khan, of course. Uh. It's, it's everything a, a white American in the in the early sixties might have known or thought about. The East. Yeah. So a, a descendant of Genghis Khan is walking one day in a valley and he finds a crashed spaceship and a dead alien dragon. <laughs> and in the spaceship, he finds the spaceship is powered by these ten rings that control everything. And he learns that he can wear the rings and he learns that if he studies this 
ancient alien uh, language and science, he can control the rings. One, he's got ten of them. One can create lightning. One can shoot ice. One can teleport him. One can disintegrate any matter. And he, he quickly uses these powers to conquer various villages and towns in the area. And the Chinese uh, Revolution, Chinese army and government leave him alone and let him keep these territories and be essentially a little warlord as long as he helps them out with things like industrialist Tony Stark, <laughs> who has really messed up some of the uh, communist plans in Vietnam. So the Mandarin builds up a vast criminal criminal empire, very akin to how Fu Manchu was kind of presented um, in in those early uh, kind of pulp stories, mm. um, pulp novel stories of having this vast, mysterious mastermind of a of a global network of criminals and terrorists and and assassins. It's all very mysterious. Mandarin has lots of plots of world domination over the years. Clashes with Iron Man a lot, and you know the Avengers and things. He disappears, drops off the map for about ten years from the end of the nineties, and his son comes along. Uh, to take his place during that period of time doesn't make much of an impression. Perhaps the best depiction of the character in comic books comes from Matt Fraction's incredible run on the Invincible Iron Man, which lasted from 2008 to 2012. In that, we see the Mandarin return to form as a top-level manipulator and and a mastermind of puppets that he's got working for him in every conceivable place of influence. And and he, for a good chunk of time, he thoroughly beats Tony Stark. He and he has him almost as one of his own little puppets. Um, so yeah, the the Mandarin, nothing at all like what we see here. Wow, I I I I couldn't imagine him doing a a very true adaptation of the the Mandarin this day and age. It just comes off. No, it very no no no. You see, you see, what what you do is you don't. You don't do the first bit, like no one, no one, no one writing the Mandarin uh, since, and any modern modern storytelling is is writing or drawing him as a racial caricature and a, and a grossly offensive one. Mm. You just you just forget that and do the do do it how it is modernly presented. You know, there's there's a wealth of of these comics for them to have drawn on. Um, but, but what what year is this movie? Two thousand and thirteen, two- I think. Yeah, so actually, they, they, I suppose they don't have, uh, they don't have a lot of the modern stuff, and uh, and and, I suppose you would have to kind of pick and choose, um, to try and find, or or you could be the one that to goes. The name's fine, the power set's cool, we just won't present him as this awful caricature. But <laughs> again, may, maybe what you don't want to do is drive people towards bringing up those old images, and I can. Yeah. Very much understand that. And you don't perhaps want I don't know, the 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 Hollywood news report that's talking about and promoting the movie saying and Joe Ben Kingsley will play this character and a picture from the sixties comes up because that would be <laughs> gross, wouldn't it? So that could well have been their their thinking. Is you know, I I I like to think they they should have tried harder. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It was a bit of a wasted way wasted attempt there. Anyway, we press play again. Killian used Hansen's research to cure his own disability and used the extremist program to turn war veterans into living weapons. After veterans started growing unstable and exploding, 
Killian used their deaths to cover up the flaws in extremists and manufacture a terrorist plot. Realising Killian's motivations, Stark blames himself for setting Killian on the path that would ultimately see him create the Mandarin. Killian reveals he has kidnapped Pepper and subjected her to the extremist treatment, using her as leverage against Stark. When Hansen turns on Killian and threatens to sabotage the extremist programme, he shoots her dead. So that is quite a sudden death, quite a sudden shocking death there, because this is... A, this is a Marvel superhero film. You don't see people getting shot. <laughs> and it was like, oh, he shot her dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're right. It doesn't really, you don't, you don't get much of that at all, do you? No, it's, it was quite jarring. It's a nasty end for Maya Henson. Is, is that, is, does she get shot in the comic books? No. Uh, she does not. She <laughs> She's um a new character introduced in that. Ex- so Warren Ellis is extremist six issue arc takes place in the the regular monthly iron man comic yeah he just writes six issues he intentionally does not tie it to anything else going on with that character mm. he doesn't not tie, he doesn't tie it to any other marvel character whatsoever you could have published this as a standalone iron man thing uh, you know, graphic novel yeah. or limited series, not connected to the regular title, but it's in there as part of the. Warren doesn't do prolonged runs on a, on a mainstream comic series. He has an idea, he comes in, he does that, and he kind of leaves. <laughs> and generally, the other the other characters that have been introduced, they don't ever see the light of day again. Like no one's brought Killian back from the dead, even after his big role in this movie. Killian's not knocking around as a Marvel. That would have been a thing to do, right? He's got his name's got some cachet, some mainstream knowledge behind it. Bring the character back, turn him into an extremist, whatever. But they don't. They don't tend to do it. I think they would have done it if this film Maya, was more successful. Possibly, yeah. <clears throat> Maya Hansen. She's introduced by Warren Ellis as an old an old friend of Tony's. She creates extremists with Killian. Uh, and then she she gives the extremist to Tony. And at the end of the whole story arc, Tony realizes that Killian could not have acted alone. He could not. It just he just couldn't have happened. Yeah. And Hansen um, must have been part of the whole plan. So he has her arrested by Shield, and she kind of confesses and 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 she claims that she did what she did, put extremists out in the world because that's the whole thing is that. The idea is to put extremists to a lot of people's hands. Mm. And she says that they they created the new atom bomb with extremists and it needed to be used once in anger to show the world why it must never be used in anger again. And so she sort of claims some sort of noble noble reasoning behind her actions. She doesn't die or get killed off. She She's later... She doesn't really turn up much after that. At, she does turn up and, and, and is tricked into giving samples of extremists to the Mandarin. Um, and he uses that to nearly wipe out two-thirds of the Earth's population. <laughs> Juicy. But that's she, she's not dead, but she doesn't really do much. Well, so it's like almost a, yeah, another minor character in this film. Yeah, it's utterly odd. Yeah, that is very odd. So it's all falling apart for Tony now. As he controls the Mandarin, 
Killian has also manipulated the American intelligence agencies as to the Mandarin's location. He uses this falsified intelligence to lure James Rhodes with the Iron Patriot armor. Stark escapes captivity, just as Killian sends Savin to attack the President on Air Force One. Savin plants a bomb on the plane and kills multiple Secret Service agents before abducting Ellis. Stark intervenes and kills Savin, but the bomb goes off, sucking out multiple passengers. Stark manages to save all the passengers and crew from their death by magnetising them into a human daisy chain. Despite this, the President is captured by Killian. Killian plans to execute the President on live television, leaving Vice President Rodriguez to assume control of the country. It's revealed that Killian is already blackmailing the Vice President, who will act as his puppet in exchange for extremists curing his daughter's disability. Stark and Rhodes infiltrate the container terminal where Killian is located. Stark goes into safe Pepper and Rhodey goes to rescue the President. For backup, Stark summons each of the Iron Man suits he's created, controlling all of them remotely via Jarvis. Rhodes secures the president and leads him to safety while Stark discovers that Pepper has survived the extremist procedure but before he can free her, the metal rig collapses around them and Pepper falls 200 feet to her apparent death. So, that plane scene is ridiculous. But it's one of those ones where I'm like going, no, I'm not going to smile at this. This is cringy, but I keep giggling when I watch it. (laughs) It's just... it's, It's the... It's not, it's not the trolley car situation. It's the what if. What if people are flying out of an airplane and you're Iron Man, could you save them all? And the answer is, yes, it does. Yeah. It. Yeah, if, if, if you're going to carry four at a With time. With magnets. Magnets. Somehow. That doesn't... Does it, is, is that make sense, magnetising people? It's not magnets, is it? Um, I, actually, I actually think that does not magnets. I think he... Um, is it some sort of... Electrical charge that forces their hands to close. I think so. So they physically can't let go of each other. Yeah, I, I mean, get, getting the what the voltage on that just right so you don't kill them is interesting. But then they're not grounded, <laughs> are they? I, I don't know how electricity works. I I, I merely use it for pleasure. <laughs> but surely it would mean that your whole body is tensed up. If how can it just affect your hand? I don't even. know. I this is it's one of those things. I'm just gonna yeah. There's, there's, I mean, we've seen people breathe fire and explode. I'm not going to dig too deep into the science behind it. Also, I loved when they're sneaking on the boat because you could tell Rhodesy, even though he's in the Air Force, he's definitely had military training. You can tell that right away. And Tony's behind him, and you could tell, Eve, you know, outside the Iron Man suit, he's not a soldier. I mean, he did kick ass when sneaking into the place, but he's not a soldier. He can't. There's only so much he can do. Yeah, it, it, it is uh, very apparent why you do need um, Rhodey to be there. <laughs> yeah. Also... And why the military would would be a lot happier with, with you know, someone who is a military man wearing the armour. Yeah, it's all about the training and the discipline. He totally doesn't have that. He's a... He, he's a bloody CEO. He's a... He's a dilettante. Dilettante. Yeah, he's, he's a... You know, he's a playboy. Yeah, that's what he is. Also, during uh, the barrage of Iron Man armors, did I see the Hulkbuster suit pop up? I swear I saw a bigger one. I thought, is that the Hulkbuster? That'd be interesting, because if so, we wouldn't, we haven't seen it yet, have we? No, you don't see that till Age of Ultron, do you? 
No, that's when it first appears. Yeah, I, so I, I, I saw something resembling it, and I went, "Wait a sec! This isn't supposed to happen yet." Yeah, maybe, maybe it is the first appearance. I didn't. I must admit, I didn't spot it, but it could well have been. Yeah, I, I might have a look back at it later just to check. But all those armors coming in like an army again. It's one of those bits where I'm going. Ah, no, this is cringy. I won't smile, and I smiled all the way through because it was just what, so. What do you mean by cringy? You keep what? 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 What do you mean? It's just like, you know, where in movie sequels, especially superhero sequels, they're like, no, we must ramp it up and do it. Oh, do more. Give me more, 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 more. And it's like, right. let's have Tony Stark have an AI drone fleet of suits, and. I was like, okay, I can see it happening. Well, but the, isn't but isn't the other option just doing the same movie three times? If you don't ramp it up and do more, I, th- I think John Wick did it fine. <laughs> the same movie. Three. You <laughs> okay? Okay. Oh no, I'm sorry. Join Will for his own John Wick podcast. <laughs> Wick versus Wick, but um. Okay, it is it is it is pretty cool. I do think it's pretty, it is pretty it is pretty cool for what it is. But has has that happened in the comic books? Yeah, Tony's done it a few times. The, the, they're called the Iron Legion. Ah, cool. When they're all together like that, uh, the first time they they first appear, all the suits they're it's not quite the same because they're actually all piloted by Tony's friends and colleagues, um, like it like the Iron Family. Tony's in a coma. And the Mandarin has discovered a giant 19th century robot and reprogrammed it to destroy America. Wow. Of course he has. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, Rhodey can't handle it on his own. So Rhodey gets in the war machine armour and then gets everyone else from Stark's life, all like his supporting cast, wear old, different, older, like Happy Hogan wears a suit and they all wear different versions of the armour and they have a great big fight and Tony comes in at the end. Since then, we you know, we talked about how way back at the start, we talked about in the 90s, he was remote controlling his armour. Yes, Because he was trapped, yeah. paralysed. It's called the telepresence armour. Telepresence? Uh, because I think someone had been involved in like a corporate telephone conference call and someone had, you know, the writer had heard the word telepresence and went, oh, ho, 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 that sounds futuristic. <laughs> Maybe you could f- literally phone in your Iron Man suit. So yeah, it, it's a, it's kind of an extension of that. He he remotely controls all of them at the same time, and they 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 use that he installs that tech in all his old armor. Yeah, and so he can send all the old suits in. But the, the, interestingly, whenever he does that, a bit like here, like Tony Stark as Iron Man can last a long time and do amazing things. Mm. When he's when there's like fifteen Iron Men or forty two at least in this one. Oof. They all seem to get blown up very quickly. Like yeah. They don't last long. And that might be... I suppose, logically, it's one person controlling them, or maybe AI can never... You know, maybe Jarvis just can't run them the same way that a human could, because yeah. he hasn't got battle instincts, maybe. I, I would say definitely Jarvis, because, like, uh, yeah, no experience, and uh, AI can't improv. They can't improvise. <laughs> I, oh mate, we'll be replaced. Don't you worry. <laughs> Comedians will be out on their ear very soon, and it will just be AI improv. AI improv. <laughs> I... They'll write all scripts, all set, all all comedy material. 
<laughs> I need a place name. Yes, and yes, and <laughs> <laughs> that's it. We're done. Our jobs are over. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, these get time to play more video games. So um, the fighting continues in the movie. Stark is forced into a fierce fight with Killian whilst rotating through various Iron Man suits. Stark successfully traps Killian inside a suit of armor and then has it self-destruct, blowing Killian up. I thought that was really cool. That was great. That was that 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 bit took me off guard slightly because like, oh, he's just going to hold him there. Yeah. Activate self-destruct. What? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Tony starts searching for Potts, who survived her fall courtesy of the new abilities she received from extremists. A deformed Killian emerges from the wreckage and calls himself the real Mandarin before attempting to kill Stark. But instead, he is killed by Potts. Um, so, I, uh, I, don't know, I don't think we, you're going to be covering this at all. Uh, and, and I think it deserves at least a nod. What the hell happens to Pepper Potts after after this film with extremists? Because does it just leave her body naturally? Uh, no, he says at the end of the movie he's going to work to. Oh yeah, work to get rid of it. Get it out of her, I guess. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it doesn't come up again, does it? It doesn't come up again. This is this is the weird thing. It's like after all the stuff that happens to them in the later films, okay, she doesn't pop up so much, but there's enough to at least go, whoa, this is even worse than the time I almost turned into a human bomb. This is kind of the 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 the, the farewell for Pepper Potts. Yeah. Really? I mean, I know we get a, a little couple of cameos. I think it's a real shame because she's in it more, but does less. Yeah. Like she does... She's she's a hell of a lot more of a bigger character in two, mm. um, and one, and it's a real yeah. It's a, it's a, it's it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a great send off for her. Yeah, it, although yeah. she gets powers, I guess maybe maybe people thinking that if she gets powers, that's good. I mean, that's a good kind of farewell. She gets to do a whole little Sarah Connor thing, you know. <laughs> I, I'm not that keen with everyone in this movie just killing people. <laughs> um. Just, there we go, just murdering people left, right and centre. Yeah, it is a bit okay. murdery. It is a bit. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So why don't we get Shane Black to do a superhero film? <laughs> Everyone's murdering. Oh dear. Also, another slightly dark twist. Like when he cuts off Killian's arm with the wrist blade yeah. from Robocop. <laughs> like, that's Robocops. Yeah. Well, it... There's no way Tony Stark hasn't seen Robocop. Oh. And when you've seen Robocop and you're Tony Stark... Yeah. What are you going to build? You're going to build... Uh, you're definitely going to build a wrist blade. I don't know about... What the, else are you going to build? An Ed 209. Yeah, it's the first thing you build. The fact that you're going to build an Ed 209. <laughs> first thing you build is the Ed 209. If, yeah. if you, if you're, he's got at least nine of them. Yeah. I reckon he's got them instead of, like, instead of dogs. He doesn't have pet dogs. He has Ed 209s. <laughs> and, yeah. So... Superpower Pepper Potts, which is a very weird phrase to say. Superpower Pepper Potts. Superpower Pepper Potts. Superpower Pepper Potts. Damn you, Stanley, <laughs> and your alliteration. Uh, does that ever happen in the comics? Well, we, yeah, we, we see it. We see down the line in Endgame, she gets to wear the um, the suit of armor. Yeah, but you can't see what happens. It's all. It's 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 everything's happening at once. Y- 
You get you just see. Yeah, we won't. I mean, there's no way we'll get a chance to cover that (laughs) because (laughs) that movie will kill me. I am dreading ever getting there. Um, (laughs) Pepper in the comics never has extremists like she does here, but during Matt Fraction's Iron Man run, she does get blown up by by a terrorist, caught in a terrorist explosion, and she gets shrapnel wounds very, very similar to Tony. So Tony installs um, a really powerful, uh, very powerful electromagnetic unit in a... Looks like a stark, uh, an arc reactor from the movie. Mm. Arc reactors don't exist in the comic books, but they're something similar. Um, and that gives her a couple of enhanced abilities. She's a bit stronger. She's more resilient anyway, I think, than anything else. Yeah. And she's dependent on the magnet to stay alive, though. Just like Tony was in the 60s, dependent on the chest plate. Um, when Stark goes on the run from the government after the secret invasion... He leaves Pepper control of the company and tells her, shut it all down. Don't let Osborne get his hands on it. Blow it up. Destroy all my files. Get rid of it. And she does most of that. He also leaves her the last power suit, which is built just for her. And Pepper takes all offensive weapons offline from the suit, mm. but does use the armour to save her own life a few times and to rescue other people. And she takes the name... She starts using the name Rescue when she uses that. Ah. Almost like like Thunderbirds, Superhuman International <laughs> Rescue. Yeah. Okay. So she's quite involved then with that. Because you think of her as just the love interest and secretary or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, she does that during the, the, the Matt Fraction run until mm. 2012. And then it ends and she doesn't do that again. <laughs> Fair enough. So she goes back to, but by this point she's actually she's running the company more than she is um, a secretary. You know she's she's the she's the corporate person. Yeah, keeping it all together. Yeah, that's and that's what happens in the films essentially. Yeah, yeah. So this is another thing, a weird send off. Quite kind of Iron Man's number one villain, but sort of not gets his chance to shine this movie and then is killed off. As a comic book fan. How do you feel about the Mandarin? Well, listen, no hashtag no gatekeeping, um, and that's not. But I also feel that sometimes that means we're not supposed to bash the movie, and I don't want to bash the movie. I really don't. But this sucked. Yeah. Um, it, it, Killian feels very much like a sequel villain. Mm. You know, like a dim, Law of Diminishing Returns villain. Yeah. He's not as good as. Justin Hammer in the one before, who's not as good as Abadiah Stane in the one before, and he's he's not really the Mandarin. Ben Kingsley's not really isn't the Mandarin. Was it a funny little moment in the movie? Sure, uh, but I I don't know if that's worth throwing away. Uh, and I do mean I do I do want to say I do not want a racially disturbing, gross caricature Mandarin, but a modern interpretation of Mandarin is kind of cool. And that's kind of what I think we were denied. We, you know, and fans on social media... Sorry, mate, yep. No, no, I was going to agree. I, I like the modern interpretation of basically he's a terrorist leader. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, but that got thrown away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fans on social media and forums since the movie came out are desperately clinging to that not being the Mandarin. They keep they kind of argue that, oh, well, actually, Ben, ben Kingsley's character could still be the real Mandarin. 
And all this was like a cunning plan to get out of being arrested or the real Mandarin will appear some other day down the line. And that might be true because the the phase four movie is Shang-Chi and the um, the Legend of the Ten Rings. So there's a, a connection there to the Ten Rings terrorist group that we saw back in Iron Man 1. They were called the Ten Rings. And the Ten Rings of the Mandarin, which he obviously doesn't have in this movie. So Wait, wait. But but if the logos you see on the videos have ten rings surrounding a pair of swords. Is that the ten rings? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah. 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 But whatever whatever they do now, this Mandarin, whatever he is, won't face Iron Man in the MCU because that character's done. That story's over. Maybe so that, it, it's hmm. it's a shame. I, I reckon if they're going to do this Phase Four film you're on about, they might introduce someone else as the real Mandarin and say he was inspired. I inspired him or something. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I, I imagine they probably will. Uh, it's just a shame that we then won't get that character facing off against Tony Stark. Yeah. Oh well, we'll see what happens. So wrapping up things now. In the aftermath of the events on the container terminal, Stark makes a promise to Potts that he'll find a cure for her extremist condition and orders Jarvis to remotely destroy each of the Iron Man suits. Oh, that's that annoyed me. It's like he's already what built. What was that them. about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. I I was just because this is the thing. I know, like, it's the third film, and I know we had Dark Knight Rises come out the year before, and I think Iron Man and Dark Knight Rises were head-to-head... No, Iron Man and Dark Knight trilogy, they were head-to-head at one point. They were coming around the same time. It was DC versus Marvel. And I think what they were going for here is, oh, well, Bruce Wayne faked his death at the end of that film, so we can't do that here. Oh, do you think? Yeah. I think they just go, oh, but we need some kind of oh, he's 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 putting down the mask sort of thing. But it's kind of an empty gesture considering what happens in the next few films. It feels yeah, it makes no sense. It's it, it, if anything, it's just him saying, hey, Pepper Potts, I love you so much. I'm willing to destroy billions of my merchandise, billions of dollars of my merchandise. It just it. it, it it, it doesn't feel like the gesture it's intended to be. It feels hollow. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and it, it doesn't. It just doesn't make. It doesn't make sense. Like he's already the the. It, it suggests that he thinks her problem is that he kept having Iron Man. The problem is he was ignoring her and spending all his time building these things that he probably didn't need. Yeah, it's not the actual act of possessing them. It's the obsessive act of spending all your time in the garage. That's what the issue was. And with these exploded, so, he's going to be spending a lot more time in the garage, <laughs> rebuilding the Legion. Yeah, well, yeah, we, 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 do, we, do, we do start to see what he spends all his time on uh, as we roll through to Age of Ultron. Yeah. But still, you know, maybe he, maybe he did it so he could like go, hey... This gives me an uh, this gives me uh, incentive to build better Iron Man suits. Maybe, maybe workaholic, workaholic. workaholic. Yeah, these are deadline. So the last bits of the film, 
The, pres- the vice president and te- Trevor Slattery are taken into police custody as Stark decides to undergo surgery to remove the pieces of shrapnel embedded in his heart. Stark has decided that even without his suits or the arc reactor in his chest, he will always be Iron Man. Stark finishes, finishes telling his story to Banner, who has fallen asleep. So that's the end of the film. That's the re- that's another really really odd bit. Yeah, it felt. Why like- why is this movie told in flashback to Bruce Banner? What connection does it have? Why is Bruce Banner there? What does it add? What does it do? Because even he uh- says like I'm not that kind of doctor, and it's like this the, the situation feels contrived. Yep. Well, will <laughs> final thoughts on this movie. The last Iron Man film that they'll make, we think. I can't see them making another one unless they ca- they cast someone else as a younger Iron Man or a different person taking up the mantle. Um, I think it's too good to be disappointing, but too disappointing to be great. Yeah, yeah. It's a solid six out of ten for me, as I said before. There are good moments to it. I won't deny that. Uh, I like seeing Guy Pearce in general. He's very hunky. But, and, you know, but there's so much wasted stuff here. That stuff feels arbitrary and tired. Oh. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a clunky, it's a clunky film. It's a mismatched film. Uh, it feels like, and I know that we, we, we have, um, Lots of different writers for different movies, but this feels like a movie that was written by committee. Oh, too right, too right. Yeah, that that there was lots of there was a perhaps a good original idea or first script, and it was changed, and then this was added, that was taken away, that was covered up, that was edited. It's what it feels like. I might be wrong. I got no knowledge about it, and we're not really here to rake over the movies, you know, in in, in the production sense. We're not a movie review podcast, are we? No, 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 no. It's not what we're here to do. But it's 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 kind of hard to walk away from phase one, which we felt was roughly speaking brilliant. You know, yeah. Thor aside, <laughs> it was. I mean, even Iron Man two, which is not as good as Iron Man one. Iron Man two was a joy compared to this. Oh, a real absolute joy. joy. Yeah. Um, also, it feels very th- this- disconnected from the rest of the Avengers films. I mean, even Iron Man Two had uh, uh, it's not Scarlet Witch, sorry, uh, she had had, had uh, Black Widow and Nick Fury yeah, you always and everything. Do that. Sorry, <laughs> you always do that. Yeah, Scarlet. You always want to call her the Scarlet, um, the Scarlet Widow. Scarlet Widow. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was going to call her Scarlet Witch. I, I was very. That, that's very bad of me. But yeah, this felt hollow. <laughs> You, to to the extent that it felt like they had to knock on uh, Bruce Banner being in there to try and make it feel connected. Yeah. Again, another hollow gesture. Um, it just it just felt like oh, that felt like something that happened after they finished filming, and it went oh yeah, we, it did. We started off doing this thing where we, he's telling it like a flashback. Oh, let's put the post credit sequence. Where he's talking to the Gruffalo, Mark Ruffalo. And it's deeply disappointing compared to the amazing 
post-credit scenes we had in Phase One. Yeah, they all led on to another movie. They all were like for for comic book fans, they were all um, fan service, and for movie fans, they were all teasers of a of a thing because it's kind of hard not to be in a cinema with a yeah. comic book fan going oh, the Cosmic Cube or oh, Thanos, you know. So yeah, yeah. big. Let down, man. Let down. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Well, shame there. But we'll we come to the part of the podcast that we can still keep as our favourite parts. We've gone through a lot of bizarre history and stories of Iron Man in the modern age. I say modern because to me, the nineties is modern, kids. <laughs> what has been your favourite piece of Marvel trivia from uh, this little outing through Iron Man three? It would have to be Tony Stark paralysed in bed while his workmates and colleagues <laughs> remotely control a legion of Iron Men suits. The Iron Legion. I know, it's it's very yeah. dark, but it's like, wow, that makes sense. It's something that would definitely, definitely happen. <laughs> and now we can introduce you all to a uh, brand new feature of Marvel vs. Marvel, because you demanded it. We should have some. We should we should invest in some music, I suppose. <laughs> we come to the reading list section, the required reading, um, and I think to these can be recommended because they really seem to inform a lot of what went on in this in this movie. Obviously, Warren Ellis's extremist storyline um, from Invincible Iron Man. That's a uh, a great thing to track down. You can get that in, like, all available in trade paperback. That's a, a really cool way of seeing how the extremist story works it's also it gives an updated origin for iron man talking about the gulf war instead of the vietnam war Mm. it operates as like a great self-contained story almost it's a great jumping on point you don't have to have known anything else to do with iron man you can come right from watching any of the movies to read this and it doesn't really lead on other than it it changes the character quite a lot so it's a nice self-contained little run i really think that warren ellis's other all the really fun work on Iron Man can be found in the Ultimate Universe. He's got one called Ultimate Human, which features Iron Man versus uh, Ultimate Hulk over in that weird universe. It's a lot more adult, though. I should point that out. Yeah. Um, the Ultimate Universe, aside from Ultimate Spider-Man, tends to run quite violent and quite dark. You've and also Ultimate, I- Ultimate Armor Wars was the sequel to Ultimate Human, and that features that stuff we talked about where Tony's got kind of cool little tech gadgets. <laughs> so that's fun. I, I, for me, the, 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 the best run on Iron Man, well, Kieran Gillen's got a very good run. Um, got to give a shout-out to Kieran Gillen, uh, born and raised in my hometown, and he got to write Iron Man. That's a rags-to-riches story. <laughs> um, but but, but uh, uh, that, that plays into a, a, a lot more... A lot more changing stuff in the world. I I really think Matt Fraction wrote the kind of one of the definitive runs on Iron Man two thousand eight to two thousand and twelve, um, and you can find that in it's collected in lots of different things. Generally called the Invincible. If you just look for Invincible Iron Man, Matt Fraction, it starts with with a, a story arc called the Five Nightmares, 
And then it's things like World's Most Wanted, Stark Disassembled, Stark Resilient, Iron Age. So those are really cool storylines along the way. You can get a big, thick omnibus of all of those together. Um, but Or you can buy the little trades along the way to see if you like it rather than invest in a... You know, the first... Um, my five, the Five Nightmares is seven issues, and that's a good taster. Um, if you get that trade, it features um, the son of Obadiah Stane from the first Iron Man movie and, and some stuff like that. So that's that's a good way in. And, and I really think if you can get on board with Matt Fraction doing Iron Man, then you, you can get on board with a lot of the stuff that he, he does there. And second time we've recommended Matt Fraction, we, we talked about him with Hawkeye. Oh, um, yeah. One of the previous episodes that was pointed out. Matt Fraction. What a name. I know, great name. I don't think, I, I have a sad feeling it's not his real surname. That's a shame. Um, it's probably a, a non diplom. Look that one up, <laughs> Mother, Mother Bees. And that brings us, I guess, to the end of this journey through Iron Man 3 as we kick off Phase 2. Don't forget you can check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And you can find their blogs that contain tons more history, cool stories, trivia, and images of everything we've talked about today. You can see an image of Modoc. You can see an image of the Hulkbuster, the, the old module armor from the Capcom games and the animated series. And you can see all these bits and pieces on our absolutely free blog that's over there on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel as well as blogs from the spider-man episode the blade episode x-men uh the avengers we put up new blogs each and every week totally for free it's also a great way for you to uh support us by throwing us just three pounds a month and that will get you access to additional bonus content like some of the cool 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 bonus episodes we've put up one on x-men one on captain america and there's even more to come so why don't you head on over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel Will. Thank you for taking us through that movie. My pleasure. And the next one before you, the next one for you to rewatch and prepare yourself for, that applies to Will and all you at home, is part two of phase two, which sees us return to Asgard for Thor Dark World. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please like us, rate us, and don't forget to subscribe. And hey, why not recommend us to a friend that loves Marvel comics or movies? Don't forget you can watch along with the next episode, Thor Dark World.